0: So say yes. So we say yes. So we say yes. So we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?
1: Bless you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We are here because we loved you. Because you first loved us, Lord. It's it. That's the whole story how good you are jesus we love you we thank you for redemption for forgiveness for ongoing forgiveness for ongoing salvation and rescues in our lives and the lives of our loved ones god we uh, we need it every day and we want to go deeper in you we want to know you better we we want to be in step with you god we want to be in step our desire god is that we could be in in lockstep with you sensitive to the work that you're doing on earth in these days god we thank you god we thank you for what you're doing we thank you that you're righteous and true and holy and fair and you don't fly off the handle and you know the thoughts of our and intents of our hearts and you still love us thank you god what an amazing story of redemption every single day lord it didn't end the day we repented of our sins, Lord, it, and in many ways it began, so God, we ask you to open your word, God, and that your fire would uh, would burn in us this day, God, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, God, we love you, Jesus, open your word to us, amen okay, we're done, man that's good, okay, so we are here, as you can tell, we are here today, and we will not but we will not be here next weekend just to make a small announcement. It's our fiftieth wedding anniversary. Yeah, really, two alley cat hound dogs. By God's grace, have been faithful to each other, and thank you. I was an alley cat. You were a hound dog. No, I was was an alley dog. She was a hound cat. Whatever it was, it's an absolute bona fide miracle that we are um, really just a miracle. I just got. A, oh, I, I read something today from someone who knew me years before I got saved. When I was living in my darkest years, and he was talking about me being. Behind. He says, um, "If you were do, I send you these things to remind you of who you were, so that because if you were doing these things." Uh, you know, now you'd be behind bars. And, and Robin, because he knew I should have been, even then, and Robin said, and I said to him, I wrote back and said, I'd be dead, first of all. Mm. And Robin said, the only reason we weren't behind bars then is because we hadn't gotten caught.
0: Mm. So we
1: are, we are representatives of massive redemption and forgiveness. And, and a lot of people who ran, who I, especially the people I ran with, are gone, long gone, long, long, long gone. Some of them violently. It was a train wreck. My life was a train wreck, and... Here I sit talking about the Redeemer. Amen. How great is God, huh? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Okay, so brief recap, because we have a, um, we have a, people joining us every week now. Welcome, folks. So just, this is the quickest recap of the book of Daniel you'll ever see, really. <laughs> but And it's not the whole book, because if I do that, I get trapped, and I'm on page 14 before I start getting into the <laughs> chapter we want to study this morning. But we're in no rush, because the reality is it's more about intimacy and, and, and preparation for the outpouring that God's going to be doing on Earth in these days thence information. I'm going to say that many times this morning again. It's more about intimacy than information. Although we have information so that we can understand how God operates his MO, his modus operandi. How We want to know how God works so we don't get duped. We don't get duped. We, not, we want to know the bona fide so we don't get trapped by the counterfeit. Mm-hmm. And that counterfeit will harden our hearts, will isolate us, will deceive us, will raise up pride, will tell us how broken we are or how... Whatever Satan has the same uh, wicked uh, uh, bag of tricks. And meanwhile, we have a God who's constantly looking to speak to us every single day, every word that continues to proceed from his mouth. Jesus said, proceeds from the mouth of God, not proceeded. So he's continuing to talk in the book of Revelation over and over again, those who have ears to hear, those who have ears to hear, those who have ears to hear. So here we go. We start off here. It's a 70, and I give you a couple of scripture addresses if you want to look at them yourself later. Israel gets taken into a 70-year captivity, which is spoken about multiple times in scripture. Second Kings is one great place to, to look because of their stubborn refusal to respond to the corrections of their covenant God. Over and over again, Scripture, how many times in Scripture did you see I sent the prophets rising up early, meaning I, I had them I had street at prophetic street theater, I had fire down from heaven, I, I had all these things happening, and, and you kept refusing or asking for more supernatural card tricks. Show me another sign. is what they asked Jesus. And he says, "There's enough evidence already for you to know that you're called that I'm holy and I'm supernatural and you're called into righteousness." disobedience to God always has ramifications. You could read Amos 3, where he says, you're you're the special people, therefore I'll punish you for your sin. And then he says, because I want intimacy with you. Verse 3, in Amos 3 says, he's desiring intimacy. He's not just coming home and whacking the kids. He's saying, I need you to be holy because my Holy Spirit wants to dwell in you, and I'm zealous, jealous, so therefore I will continue to correct you. So it's easier to learn, and I'm not saying it as an old saint, it's easier to learn to respond quickly. He doesn't have to yell as loud. You don't have to have the bridle between your lips or between your teeth. And, and, and he, wants to, he, wants to, he just wants to have an intimacy with us. This teenage Daniel, which I have here, and of course I have Richard right here who's fluent in Hebrew, because even though he was born in the States, he has more years in Israel than he does here, But Yeled and na'ar, we had a little discussion even this morning. But it's two different words in Hebrew for um, kids, and we were even in in right now. Say say it. Tell them what's going on here. So, okay, thank you. Both words, (laughs) yeah. Both words indicate youth. Yes, you know, a a younger person. Yeled, you have the the, the root form is, or you you say Yolad Uh is the one who's born. Yeled Yulad na, Lanu. Okay. A child was born to us. Okay. So it's a child. Yeled yeah. is a child. Naar is usually considered uh, uh, also a, a, a youth. Like uh, so, they both they both indicate young. Which is younger? You know, is is an interesting you know, discussion. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. yeah. So in, in looking in in the scriptures, looking in my Strong's, you know, in the Strong's concordance. Places where they implied there was a much younger kid, they actually used the word Naar, which was little Eli, because when he was just basically weaned, his mother takes him, Hannah is it Hannah, right? His mom takes him to Eli the funky prophet. And, little Eli, yeah, little Eli.
0: Little no, not little Eli, yeah, <laughs> no, little Samuel. Samuel.
1: I said little Eli. Yeah. Actually it sounds kidding. like sounds like I'm Big kidding. Eli. To, do we know
0: Eli's mom? No, no, no. We don't know he was a, we actually know
1: he was a big Eli 'cause <laughs> he's guy fell backwards like Humpty Dumpty at the end of his life. He
0: may know they were a
1: kid. But anyway, they they use the word Naar for him and Yelled is what uh, Daniel is described out. So Richard gave me this morning that it's not out of the question that in biblical ancient Hebrew one might have been understood right. as being younger or older. But we do know that Daniel at the beginning of his life was already um, had convictions and was already uh, standing and uh, requesting things that I think a younger boy probably might have bowed to. So whatever it is, he's a young man, teenage Daniel. He's taken and likely castrated. And the book written by Daniel, attested to by Jesus, takes us through Daniel's long life. He, he's, it was in the 70s or 80s when he died because it was a 70-year captivity It might have been going on prior to Daniel being there, because there were waves of people, although um, the other scriptures seem to point to him having been taken into captivity a little early in the sequences. And he learns to hear God. He learns to stand firm. He learns through events that really could have killed him, quite frankly. I mean, at the beginning, it was like, please fast and pray with us, because I need to know this dream, otherwise all the wise men, including me, are toast." And so he's learning out of desperation, which ought to speak volumes to us in these days. Ought to speak volumes to us. Because God is, this whole thing is about transforming the saints on earth in these days for the great exploits. And so the work that we're seeing is not an easy work in our lives. We we are facing impossibilities. And almost everybody I know who's a saint, who's an honest, (laughs) will admit that there's impossibilities in their lives. They're purposeful. It's to get us to that place of divine desperation. So we learn to discern dreams, visions, even handwritings on the wall. All of them are prophecies and revelations pointing to empire after empire, warring against one another until the Ancient of Days returns to rule and reign by forcefully taking over the earth. That hasn't happened yet. It's clear. Just go to your news source. So these prophecies are not all fulfilled and it's not simply ancient history it goes into the times in which we're living and it even goes into the future so that's important for us because there are doctrines that i would i wish it was an easier story the biblical story loving not their lives unto the death i wish wasn't in scripture martyrdom i wish the ones beheaded i wish I wish, I wish, I wish, but it's told us so that we can understand God's plan is totally not our plan. His righteousness far exceeds our righteousness. What he's doing on earth is to prepare us spiritually. You cannot future project walking in holy grace in an impossible circumstance because it was never intended. You have grace for today. I have grace for today. That's why it talks about line upon line, precept upon precept talks about walking this walk out it's a walk with the lord so the progressive drama of the book of daniel takes us to eventually to alexander the great the goat if you will in um i think it's either in chapter seven or chapter eight there's two different uh image, image images there prophetic images of of greece and alexander the great ruler of greece he dies at 33 his empire is divided among four military leaders Out of one of those four empires will eventually rise up the ultimate Antichrist figure. You can go back in our podcast and study the ones on Gog and Ezekiel and the conclusion of the age, or Zephaniah or Isaiah or some of the others. And eventually he will, this demonically driven world ruler, will lead the charge against God and against Israel, the final Armageddon battle of good versus evil. And critical for us to understand is we win. We win huge. I love what Paul said when he says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works in us a far and exceeding eternal weight of glory. Light affliction. This guy wrote from prison. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He lost everything. <clears throat> he says he counts it but dung. If you go back to your Strong's Concordance, it, it, it's, it's actually more graphic words than dung, even. Mm-hmm. It's pretty foul. He says, Everything I had as a... As a big, big Mishagas leader, a rabbinical scholar of the Jewish world, I counted as terrible stuff, just like the excellency of knowing Christ. And we have to get to that. We have to get to that. That's why God is weaning us off of nationalism. And weaning us off of even career paths and our skill sets and everything else, he's weaning us off those things so we're fixated on him. That's the work that's being done by the Spirit in these days. So we'll be in chapter ten. Daniel, in his older years, continues to model for us. His lifestyle needs to be wants to be our model. He just inconveniencing himself fasting pressing in asking questions holding the line getting not bowing down before things but understanding that some of his decisions will have him thrown into a furnace saying I'll do what I got to do knowing the will of God we're not trying to design martyrdom or design some torturous religious path crawling on broken glass doesn't really cut it get it no, seriously, it does. actually it does cut it, but it doesn't get you any closer. Yeah, it doesn't get you any closer to God. A lot of times, man's ways. Like if you read Galatians, he's talking about these things. He says they they do nothing for the sanctifying of the Spirit. It's all about. It's a fleshly act. A lot. Not knocking liturgy. There's good purpose for liturgy. There's liturgy and Scripture, but a lot of times men design liturgy and religious practice almost to. Um, to try to design what it would look like. They want to represent what God wants. And, and quite frankly, it's like, it's, you know, it's, like it's that word Hamisha. I don't know if that's Hebrew or Yiddish, but Hamisha is like down to earth. And one of the things about Jesus, he was Hamisha. He really was. He was a down to earth person who happened to walk on water and raise the dead, but he was just a real guy. And he's calling us to be real people in him. And that is a huge relief that we don't have to have the religious raised eyebrows or humility doesn't mean your head's bowed over when you walk. You could be you. Yeah, that's who you want to be. Last time we met, we left off looking at uh, the controversial verses of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We were stuck there for weeks. And I'm not, again, I'm saying this as a teacher that I'm not saying this as a, you know, get out of knowledge free card. It's more about... It's more about intimacy than information. We want to study and press in. We went through a couple of different variations of what people think are dates and timings. But the reality is the whole story is about us having a spirit walk with God where we are surrendered to him every minute of our day, every thought taken captive. And we looked many times that there are things that are ridiculously specific in scripture because God wanted them to be ridiculously specific. There's other things that are spoken in mystery or in generalities or cloaked. Some of them are like uh, prescription, pharmaceuticals, or vitamins. There's a time release on them. So we have to get a... Excuse me all you people as I get up to get a coaster. Oh, Robin has 75 of them over there. Here we go. Robin has a coaster collection over there. Thank you, dear. (laughs) Okay, so this has me, this this time around, it's in, having taught the book this many times, it's probably f- at least four, maybe five times now, I'm driven into this place of, every time it is like a different theme. In 21 when I taught it, it was like the man Daniel, the life of Daniel, the example of a holy man whose life was probably not how he had envisioned it, but he finished well. This one, is it's really, and it has to do with intimacy. They all tie in together. But this one has to do with the season in which we're living mm-hmm. and the call to intimacy. The intimacy and surrender. So I can prove it throughout all of Scripture that we see time and again the issues about intimacy and true knowledge of God. It's all about that. Jesus, um, you know, the Father has never left me alone because I know the Bible, because I can recite every Scripture to you. That's not what he says. He says, I always do the things that please him. I only do what I see the Father doing. You know, and we have these examples of that place of intimacy that he's calling us to, and it's, it's a jeopardy when you're a saint. If you've been around the kingdom... 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you've you got a repertoire of experiences already, We don't hang your hat on it. Don't forget them. They're glorious. Recite them and testify of God's glory, but don't think you're done. That's, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do it. And remember, the great commandment is not knowing info. The great commandment, is, this is interesting, I was looking at this earlier today, Matthew 22, this is so crazy. Matthew 24 is all about end times. She's sitting there in the temple. They're showing him. You know, He's looking at the temple, and everybody's asking him questions about the, the, his return and destruction of the temple. He, we go through that whole thing with Euthyos, where he talks about immediately after those days, there's going to be massive troubles, and, then and immediately after those days, they're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. So when, I always say this. When you look at something going on in Scripture, it's fine to grab a verse and apply it to something else, especially... As your spirit led, hopefully more often than not. But at the same time, it's always interesting as the word appears in Scripture. This is twenty-two, and then we're going to read twenty-four, and then of course the big question is, well, what does twenty-three say? So don't cheat and look ahead in your notes, okay? So Matthew twenty three, he says this: when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, which is, you know, when the Methodists saw that he finally put it to the Protestant, you know, the pres- Presbyterians or the, you know, the Episcopal's finally saw the Baptists, uh, you know, get a scolding. That's, I mean, that's what's going on here: It's sectarianism is to whose whose who's organization is closer to accurate. So now. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together and one of them a lawyer asked him a question this is um this is matthew twenty two thirty four to forty and saying Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law jesus said but he didn't say the law is done they're asking they're basically saying in torah what's the great commandment what what did what's what's he and he says Remember, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the requirements of Messiah. He says, I didn't come to fulfill everything. All the prophecies are not fulfilled from the Old Testament. We know that. And then one of them asked, what's the great commandment in the Lord? Jesus said to him, you shall know all the scriptures. No, you shall shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the manifestation of that on earth is your ability to show love to people, which is massively challenging because... God's perfect, so it's easier to love him than it is the people around you. But he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, which they did not ask. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, everything hinges on that. Everything hangs on that. That is a spiritual revelation, and it involves commitment, it involves, um, it involves conviction, it involves inconvenience. Absent from the great commandment cited in Matthew 22 is be sure to understand all the cloaked and mysterious prophecies that my heavenly father has given to all the prophets in the past and will be giving to all the prophets in the future. But they're there for us. So I'm just trying. I want to just... I just tell you that when we, as we're moving forward, there's things going on in our lives. I love having a well of scripture in me. We all want that, and many of you do. So you can tell when you talk to someone and the word is in them, even if they, even if they don't have it all in them. I'm not saying I do, but I'm saying when you talk to people, there's a different response that you get when the word of God is reigning and ruling in a person's heart. Something is it clicks instantly. That could be language barriers. There could be cultural barriers. It doesn't matter. Something clicks when the word of god is in a person and again smith wigglesworth said consume the word of god till it consumes you so jude is all about troubling circumstances in latter times it's a it's a one chapter book and it says but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the holy spirit keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Meaning everything you can do, you still need mercy. But he's also saying you have, you know, your contribution is praying in the Holy Spirit. Tells us to do it. There's a purpose. It's not if you, unless you were taught that there's no such thing as Holy Spirit prayer. It, you know, if, if you have that issue in your life, I'm saying pray about that issue. When we got saved, we met. There was a man in our our, at work at the same company. Rob and I worked at. He came to our wedding after the wedding service because it was in the middle of a church service. Um, There's like three hundred people down on the altars praying in tongues, and that was a Friday night. Um, Monday, he called me from his office, and he he said, "Well," or I went up to his office, something, and he said, "Well, that was a remarkable service Friday night, and I felt the power of God." And I've read about people's. Praying like that, but I never heard that. I've never been in there was no YouTube back then. I don't think there was electricity back then. <laughs> anyway, he said but he says I never heard that before. And he says, So I have said to the Lord, if this is something that you want me to receive, I will receive it. Now, you know, Elliot, know it all. I've been saved a year. I thought, well, you gotta wrestle God for the And about six months later, he called me again, or I was in his office again, and he said, I just want you to know that every night I, before I go to bed, I, I bow down before my bed and I, I say a little prayer on my knees. He said, last night, the Lord visited me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I have a prayer language now. And I Thank you, God. Beloved, building yourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us this, I'm going to read it in the NIV, Romans 8. It's just easier, because there's like a word that drives me nuts a little bit missing in, in, the, in New King James. You do not know how you should pray as you ought. They should say ought to pray, but I'll get I'll get over it with some counseling. <laughs> For the creation, now this is God. God sets up, this, and we want to know this because sometimes you think, you know, it's smooth sailing with Jesus. Well, no, it's simply sailing with Jesus, but it's not necessarily smooth sailing. But you can sail with him. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's part of the divine tension that God has set up here. This is not home. We're not supposed to park here. We're on pilgrimage here. By the will who subjected it in hope. The hope is that the creation itself will eventually be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know, this we know, that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This morning I was walking the little guy here and I was reading Thessalonians and they were talking about the return of the Lord, again talking about a, a labor pains so that the world will not escape. So this whole birthing, the groaning of the labor, we're in that right now. And they're getting louder. It's, more, it's obvious these days. And he goes, not only so, but we ourselves, the saints, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, groan mm-hmm. inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul, who wrote all about the Holy Spirit, is saying we're really not fully there yet. We have a deposit in us, we have a mark on us that we are sons and daughters of the king, we have felt his presence, he's all about us having the experience of tasting him and getting into that place and and I'm a junkie for that and so I press into that and many of you are, it's one reason we're so um, enthralled by worship. You get into that place of worship, I know people like I don't need church, I don't need this, I don't need that, well maybe you don't, I do. And I know when I'm in those places of corporate, when you're worshiping with 300 people with hands in the air, there's, there's something electrifying in the room. Focused right. on one thing, on one thing yes. that thing being our savior and his and king God. There's something about that. God has called us into fellowship. And it's, yes, it's uncomfortable. No, it's, it's part of the groaning. Just parking at church is part of the really. building. In the same, listen to this. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, he talks about being strong in Christ. But when you're filled with the Spirit, he says it helps you in your weakness. But you're weak without the Spirit. And he says the Spirit helps us. Why? Because we do not know how we ought to, what we ought to pray for. We just don't know. I mean, there's certain things. If you need money, it's easy to pray. You want a license agreement, a patent issued, a girlfriend, or whatever, You're a good deal on car tires, you pray. Seriously, those are prayers with understanding. You want someone saved, you name that person before the Lord. You want to remind God of someone of three, not to forget the benefits of those who fear him. There's words for that. But there's things we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray, because there's the whole intent of the Holy Spirit is I want I want to be resident in you because you could have my mind and when you're praying in your prayer language, the whole my spirit will pray to me through you. That's supernatural. This is what God's working at in us to get us to the place of fullness here. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The implication is my best intent oftentimes is not the will of God. Doesn't mean it's evil or wicked, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean it's His his will. But when I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, I'm praying in His will. And that's why oftentimes when you pray in the Spirit, you feel the presence because you feel His pleasure. It's like the chariots of fire guy. When I'm running, I feel the pleasure of God. Seriously, when I'm on my bicycle, listening to Steve Johnston reading to me again, faithfully, that guy, I'm like, that's my happy place. I I just feel the pleasure of God. I've thought i been in incredible places out in the country here, just me and Steve and Jesus. It's like my happy place. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, of course, because the Spirit intercedes for us, God's people, in accordance with the will of God. And then it goes on and says, we know that, all things, that in all things, God works for the good, and it doesn't end there, that verse, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's understanding his will and walking in it. There's been times in our lives when I, things have not necessarily turned out for the best of my life. I don't condemn myself saying, was I always out of the will of God? Because I'm not going to understand the whole mystery of my own life, let alone Daniel 9, 24 through 27, you know, until I get stamped with Jesus. But the success is in knowing and walking in the per, in the will of God. And this is why, and yes, we're not in Daniel 10 yet. And Jesus tells us this, okay? So... What do we have here? We have Paul tells us this in Romans. We have Jesus tells us this. We had Jude telling us before that, building yourselves up. Now Jesus tells us this, John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And you think, can you imagine being there in Jerusalem and the tension that was going on and you walking by people crucified in the streets screaming in agony and and people getting beaten and and flogged and, and All this corruption and horror, and and now the Savior's here, and you've identified him as the Savior, and you've seen miracles, and he says, I'm going away, and then he says to you, it's your advantage, I go away. You think, are you kidding? He goes, no, I'm truth, I'm only speaking truth to you. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Convict means showing you are in error or guilty. It's not convince, it's convict. It's, I've looked in countless, countless translations. It's about convicting. What he's saying is the, the world's viewpoint of righteousness is humanism. This is why when Daniel prayed at the beginning of chapter 9, and I'm saying this again because I've said it before, when Daniel prayed the prayer in, in 9... Before those four verses of Revelation of the 77s or the 70 70 weeks, the way people say it, Gabriel is like stumbling to get to him in such a hurry, saying, you are so beloved, you so have it right, you understand that after 70 years of torturous disappointment and pain and mocking, sing for us the songs of of Jerusalem, you know, harps are hung on the trees, oh, sing us some of your songs just getting taunted after 70 years of that daniel's going i know that you're righteous and he says you get it and, and there are things happening on earth right now israel things happening in our own nation there's things happening where is god and the answer is god is here but his righteousness our righteousness isn't his righteousness so when you're when the holy spirit is in you you don't become hard-nosed and, and stiff, religious, and cruel, and noncompassionate, but at the same time, the righteousness of, of, of the Holy Spirit' righteousness is different than, than man. Because man would, we, you know, this is like people standing outside of a prison again when a when a uh, when a serial rapist is being executed, and they're saying, "Oh, don't take his life." And God's righteousness is, it, I mean, it's it's startling when you start. There's a lot of Bible that is never taught, hardly read. Because it's offensive to us. It's offensive. It's here for our admonition so that we don't flip out come the close of this age. When we start seeing crazier things happening than we're seeing now, our hearts don't flip out. And we don't surrender. We don't give in. We don't succumb. We, don't, we, we understand, no, he's on the throne. This is how he's always worked. That's the Egyptian army how he worked. I still. Have, then he goes on and he says, uh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He says, but, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So there's some of that going on. He will tell us those things. He will lead us and guide us, and there's, there's times when people totally have accurate prophecies of upcoming things, and there's things in Scripture which we know will make sense, just prior to it's when when jesus testifies in the book of daniel saying when the abomination of desolation is in the temple he's basically saying go back and read daniel it's not there yet it's not there yet so there's still things shrouded he will glorify he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine declare it to you all things that the father has a mind therefore i said he will take of mine and declare to you this is why there's been such a religious campaign against the holy spirit this is why. Paul tells us in Corinthians that people who are filled with the Spirit are, are empowered to prophesy, and the unbeliever comes in, and yeah, they think we're nuts, but they meanwhile, they're, 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 their mail is red, and they fall down and go, wow, God's in this place. We've ministered to people like that. We've seen that. I remember that couple came over our house. We were sitting on the deck. Remember? There was a whole issue. The guy had gotten busted in some terrible sin, and the wife sort of dragged him to our house. But he got ministered to, and he got delivered that day. And so there's, we have to understand that we're called to represent God. Just like the angels who didn't want to represent God, they're not hanging out with him anymore. God's called us. Some of those words for messenger or angel literally apply to people. And he's called us here to be him in these days. We're the light of the world now. And Peter also tells us this. And we've read this before, but it fits in perfectly. Upper room, outpouring, they're drunk, they're crazy, this is weird. I heard that guy speaking in my language. No, I'm looking at the same guy you heard speaking in your language, and I hear him speaking in my language. That means he was speaking in a supernatural language. People heard them differently. And it says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, the fisherman, not the theologian, Peter, the anointed fisherman, just got filled with fire, starts quoting Joel, and he says, in the, and I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days. I'm going to pour my spirit out on every single person. And the, But the sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And then you have churches who have the audacity to say that there's not going to be prophecy in these days. If you're in that church, do yourself a favor and get out. Do yourself a favor and let the don't live, don't try to live with the dead. I'm just saying it, really. It infuriates me, and my wife thinks I lack patience. I don't. I just see that. Man, I want to. I want to be around live people. I love the fellowship of the saints, and I. It doesn't mean that you don't hang with people who are sinners, drug addicts, whatever. Whatever's going on.
0: You know people who are in those churches. What? Doesn't mean you don't hang. With no, them.
1: you don't hang with them. You love on them, but I'm just saying, just you do hang. You do, yeah. You, Robin wants to hang with him. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just, No, you do. You want to be patient. You want to love. You want to be an example of that. But at the same time, I'm just saying, don't let that rub off on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Know where you stand in Christ. Yes. Know where you stand in Christ. In fact, there are times and seasons. Um, people I know who love Jesus, are on fire for God, they're in churches right now and they see things that aren't necessarily right, but they're called there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're called to that place. Do you realize what a high calling that is?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But don't let it rub off on you. Because you know, we got saved in fire. People get saved in fire, typically. I mean, God could save someone. We know people got saved in bars. We knew a gay man who got saved in bed with his lover, and he got up and left. So I'm just saying, God, he's amazing. But I'm just saying that don't let those things rub off on us, please. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. It shall come to pass, he's going to do all those things. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath. And he talks about trouble, troubling things. The word awesome here is actually, in Hebrew the word is yar right? Y-A-R-E. It means terrible. Or the old te- A lot of the old commentators from the 1800s would call God awful. You know, we say I had an awful hamburger or it was an awful <laughs> bike ride because I blew out two tires or hit a deer, you know, or he hit me. That's awful, but he's meaning full of awe. <laughs> so when it says the awesome day of the Lord, it just doesn't mean a great day where people got saved. People will say that, gee, what a that was a healing prayer meeting, and people go, yeah, it was awesome. I said, no, it wasn't really terrible, but, but we've changed that word, like "yelet and nah, the words sort of morph over the centuries so but anyway the the awesome day the Lord is it's going to be awesome for many people not good it's going to be a terrible day the the tribes of the earth are going to groan we're going to be doing high fives and cartwheels in that day and then but meanwhile in that day here's the outpouring here's the promise it shall come to pass then it shall come to pass future it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved says I'm going to open the doors of salvation and that's why we're here this is why we're here So having the gist of the whole story is powerful. (laughs) Having specifics, as we can understand them, is glorious. Being filled with the Spirit of God is key. Key, 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 key. Mm -hmm. Matthew 22 declares the great commandment. 24 reveals prophecies concerning troublesome times. 23 sits there with these profoundly related chapters right between them, revealing Jesus' disgust and rebuke of a religious leadership that simply want to follow laws and rules and religious requirements missing the weightier matters of the law. Whoa. That was the context. 22 23 24. Jesus was these are the ones that he called names. brood of vipers hypocrites ap- actors was really the actual Greek word but still f- falsifying They were falsely religious, and he he didn't give them a lot of slack. The ones he spoke about as being in jeopardy of eternal damnation were not the ones who cursed him, but the ones who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's moving, and the people are resisting the Holy Spirit because they have a religious way they're going to do things. That is not liturgy. That's religious licentiousness, actually. That's actually defying God. I think one of the and I read it recently in some commentary I was reading, and they said probably the most blasphemous event that took place in a temple was the first time they offered an animal sacrifice a day after the savior was murdered. Talk about being in the face of God. You offered us your son, and here's a lamb. God help us. Matthew 16. This is exactly like 23. You can read 23, but Matthew 16 says, Then the same groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, came testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. The reason is they were so devoid of the Holy Spirit, because their religiosity had strangled them, was choking life out of them, and they were trying to make people, like he said, two-fold more the child of hell than themselves. They were going around the world to get converts to get them religious. A lot of what the church has done over the years has only gotten people religious. The result of much of the work of the whole church, I'm not letting the Jews off the hook, I'm not saying it's all Protestant or all Catholic or any one denomination, but much of the work got people into religion but didn't get them into relationship with God. The world needs to see miracles. The world needs to see the power of God. And these are the days, and the things that haven't been fulfilled are going to get fulfilled. And then he goes on, Paul talks about Corinthians 1, he says, uh, chapter 2, These things we also speak, not in words which man wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolish to him, nor can he know them because he's spiritually discerned. This is why there's a campaign against the Holy Spirit. Because if you could get someone to simply squat in church and know all the little things to do, you could be in a Holy Spirit-filled worshiping church and still squat in church. So your church will not justify you. But I'm just saying, if you want to do that and think that's your justification, we're missing, we're, we're missing something. We don't want to go there. So spiritual discernment doesn't diminish holiness or the story of Scripture. But as a teacher, and as I do, I study Scripture. I spend a lot of time in it. I tell you, intimacy with God is, oh, will always trump information about God. Always. I, you know, when I, I love that, I love, I love the information of God. I'm a teacher. I have to. I want to better get it right, but at the same time, that's not going to be my justification. Okay. How the Spirit can lead. I want to show you something that's crazy because there are times, the book is booby-trapped. It's set up by God that it'll blow your fingers off if you want to be arrogant or religious or goofy or whatever. If you want to, you want to do a t-shirt, you know, you can go fly in and get one verse. That works. But the, but the scriptures are there so we can see how God works. And this is so cool. Jesus mm-hmm. is quoting Isaiah 61 when he stands up in the temple in Luke. So let's read Isaiah 61 for a minute. This is, I'm going to give you two examples. This, this is what Isaiah is writing <clears throat> the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because why not for an award or a reward but it's upon me for a, a holy heavenly purpose to because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and then it continues on in Isaiah. that's great meanwhile here's what Jesus says And by saying it, he actually reveals to us not only what and when he's about his speaking, but he also shows you, uh, he models for us something that is almost explosively dangerous but critical to getting the accuracy right when you move in the spirit. So he came to Nazareth, this is Luke 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of Isaiah the prophet, and when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, which makes me wonder, did they just say read any place, or was that the daily you know, reading? I don't know. Whatever it is, it was time for this to be read, and he knew to do that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. Remember, they used to count little the symbols and the components of each word. That's what they used to do. The Talmudim would do that. They would to make sure because they were scribes, and if something was wrong, they didn't have delete. They didn't have control, alt, delete. They didn't have yellow at parchment, yellow out or white out. If something was wrong, they throw the scroll out. I mean, you want to talk about chrono-specific or letter specific? They that's thank you Jesus for for the for the Jewish scribes over those thousands of years. To preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because he spoke in power of the Spirit, first of all. And he began to say to them today, He'll love it. He's probably sitting down. He closed the book and gave it back and sat down. So he's sitting at church. He didn't stand up like they like you to do. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The next sentence of Isaiah was at the time of the synagogue, it wasn't to be fulfilled. The day of vengeance of our God. So he knew where to stop. Gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if a preacher knew where to stop? (laughs) Or a prophet knew where to stop? Or even knew where to start? But I'm just saying that this is a perfect example of a sensitivity to what God's doing. Jesus, of course, he is God in that sense. He's, you know, he's part of the, the uh, you know, the Trinity. But, the, but he, didn't, he didn't just sit there and read. This is the kind of stuff that they're set up for us, that we understand what God's doing. He wants us to learn by example, obviously by Jesus, but by Daniel, by the ones who did it right, the ones who did it wrong. Paul said these things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. I could picture a religious guy in the synagogue going, huh, he's supposed to be so religious he didn't even finish that verse. Yeah. Can you imagine? I'm sure there's, I, you know, so please God, please, not me, because I sit there and I know my Bible and you think it's so easy to go, go off on some tangent of accuracy. Jesus was accurate. Here's another one that's wild. Purpose mystery. An example of a purpose, this is a mystery, okay? so. God can speak absolutely specific. Remember that. We know that, okay? So this is Jeremiah 32. This is before the captivity. No, this is, um, this is actually, yeah, right prior. It says here, Zedekiah the king, Jeremiah 32, Zedekiah the king of Judah shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but he shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and, he, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. Then they shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. So it sounds like he's going to get led into Babylon, he's going to see the king, but it doesn't, it's not what it says. He says he's going to see the king, then he's going to get led into Babylon. The way it's written is absolutely perfect. And then in 2 Kings 25 it says, So they took the king and brought him. This is Zedekiah. You could check, you could fact check me in that chapter. And brought him to the king, up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Riblah is in Lebanon, north of Israel. It's not Babylon. And what happens there? They pronounce judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. So they made him watch his sons get executed. And then they bound it, and then they put out Zedekiah's eyes. And then they bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. And there's other verses throughout Scripture, there's a few others, that talk about the sequence of events. I heard someone once say, you know, Zedekiah might have heard the words of Jeremiah prior or things that were told him prior because he was a compromising, sellout, loser king. And he might have said, well, this guy says I'm going to be in Babylon. The next guy says I'm not going to see Babylon. This one says I'm going to see the king. And so whatever, I'll choose the easier, peasier one. But then you could go into this apologetics press and you could see what it says here is, As always, the Bible's remarkable inspiration is demonstrated by historical facts. When the Babylonians overtook Zedekiah and transported him to Riblah to face Nebuchadnezzar, received judgment for his rebellion, were informed of what happened. And then he says at the end, then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, took him to Babylon, mystery solved. Someone could read one of these verses and say, oh, there's contradictions in scripture. God's saying, you're the contradiction. Mm -hmm. You're the contradiction. You don't understand something in scripture that's on you and the invitation is to press in prayerfully and see what God's doing. So this bunny trail, again, is how we look at things that appear mysteriously spoken or written at the time and then how we understand that our sovereign God sometimes often chooses to reveal things and mysteries so that we will not get ahead of him. Our timing right now it's more critical now than ever. There's things in our lives that are absolutely time sensitive. There's business, there's career things for me at my age. There's there's health issues with people we know very very serious ones. Absolutely, do you only want to be what God calls you? Only want to be there, and I've said it before. Romans 12. It talks about proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I heard someone say he saw it as a progression. That You know, you get saved, you're on cloud nine, you got off your drugs, you got off your adultery, whatever else is going on. Little things, you're kicking your dog, whatever. You got off that, hopefully, and, and then you're like on cloud nine, and then most saints, for the most part, spend their life in this permissible will thing. Like, hey, God, I know you called me to make my request known, and, and I know you love me, and you'll always be with me, and you're this, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, and you want to guide me with your eye, but there's a the bit and bridle if I need it. And then he says, but the mature saint gets to the place saying, I want the perfect will of God. I only want, I don't have time especially as you get older and the clock's ticking on your life and people are dying of natural causes who are your age or younger, you start realizing, I don't want to waste any time right now. I don't have a lot of time left. It's more important now that I'm in his perfect will, which means I'd be in the Spirit. Okay, so. All right, look at the angel. T- uh, let's go on here. Chapter 10. What time is it now? How are we doing? Oh, we're doing great, guys. we got three minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chapter 10. But I just want to encourage you that, seriously, our... Our time together is to understand God, and to be impacted by what He's teaching us on every level—not simply the facts, but how am I how am I responding in these days, God? How am I? Am I loving people? Am I, do I think I have the gift of criticism? Do I, you know, whatever? You know, seriously, we just want to be sensitive to what God's doing in these days, and submitted to that. So, at the time of this revelation, Cyrus was king of Persia. He was on the throne. The empire region that had been seized... From uh, uh, on the throne of the empire region. Actually, it's not really seized from the Meats Persian because Cyrus actually was Persian. There was the Meats Persian, there was sort of a two headed kind of thing, and, and Darius was a, a Meat and he was a Persian. The Greeks, led by Alexander, had not yet walked or lunged, flew into their prophetic position in the lineage disclosure of the eventual final Antichrist. And we've gone through this all the way from Daniel, from, the, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream all the way through the other, the other chapters. And so what we see here is that um, Alexander was not on the scene yet. This was still during the Mede-Persian period. So here's a verse written by the prophet Daniel, I think um, might be taken at face value. It flies in the face of, there are some theories I've read where people think Darius and Cyrus were the same person. It's, I, don't, I don't know how you could reconcile that to this verse in mm-hmm. Daniel 6. And it says in verse 24, and the king, Darius, you could fact check again, gave the command, and they brought those men who would accuse Daniel, and they had cast him into the den of lions, and it goes on. And then it says, and D- King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. He gives you this, we have a small text there, you can read it at your leisure. At the end of it, it says, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Mm-hmm. So clearly, I don't know how you name the same guy, uh, and, and, th- and come to some historical conclusion that he was one guy, but that's you can yeah. do whatever you want. I mean, that kind of stuff is just there. That God teaches us logic, yeah. too. Yeah. Daniel 10. Hi. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. His name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. How did he understand the message? Have an understanding because he had been trained through the Nebuchadnezzar statue, which was get the dream before he'll listen to the interpretation, read the writing on the wall, understand the four beasts. He had all these training sessions. He had gone through a a a, 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 a an intensive of dream understanding and interpretation and how to speak. And now he gets one and got and he says, and Daniel's writing this and he says. Um, The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he, talking in third person, he understood the message and had understanding of the vision because he had grown and matured and allowed God to take him through classes called Furnace of Fire 101, Death Threats 101, people standing outside your window waiting to hear you pray like you always did and you not compromising 101. So he went through all these classes, and now he was at a place we could understand these things because line was upon line and precept upon precept. And some of the things that even we're going through now is to prepare us for greater things later. I love that. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. This implies... His whole life was not spent on a Daniel fast. The Daniel fast that people always talk about is the vegetarian. They call the Daniel fast vegetarian, or they use this one. So no pleasant things. What it is is it's a selective fast. But there's nothing to cause you to think that he Daniel was a vegetarian his whole life. Probably if you were, you know, the first church of the uh, primitive vegetarians of Wyoming, you would want to just quote Daniel 1 and say, look, and as long as no one read the rest of the book, you you have a whole congregation of tithers. But I'm just saying this is common sense here. It says here he had purposed. There were certain things that gave him pleasure. He put them down for a couple of weeks. He says, because here I am, an old man, I am still pressing in. Daniel 9, he was still pressing in. Daniel 10, he is still pressing in. He's an old man pressing in. I love it. Now, on the here's specificity of timing. Here's the God who does not have to speak in generalities because he doesn't know when something's going to happen. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Ophaz. Here we run into a conundrum. Of course, if you go online, which you know everything online is accurate, right? If you go to Revelation 1, people will say, look, it has to be Jesus that he encounters. It's not Jesus. And I'll tell you why I feel that strongly. First of all, they sort of look alike, but they're not. It's not exactly the same. And the other thing is how this person was dispatched. I don't believe anybody dispatches Jesus. But just for your reference, Revelation 1, to show you what the Revelation, what John of Patmos sees, and this is clearly Jesus. Revelation 1, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven gold lampstands in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed, doesn't mean it wasn't the Son of Man, one that had this appearance that made me think he was, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about with the chest with a golden band. Mm-hmm. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And then he goes on and he says, Verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, he, but he laid his hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, be yeah, it right. Do not be afraid. <laughs> I'm the first and the last, I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. It's clearly Jesus. There's no question. No one questions the book of Revelation in that. Yeah. Then we go to Daniel 10. And we see the description of who he encounters while he's by the river. And he says his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. So far, you can almost check off the Jesus characteristics. His arms and feet like burnished bronze. We had brass and bronze. Well, I won't get into metallurgy with you. In color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And this is amazing too. And this is not arrogance, but this tells you how much you want to pay and how much do you want to chase God yourself? So, yeah. Daniel hung with godly people, I believe that. He did with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and this is not a competition, we're not in a race with each other. Mm-hmm. But listen to what he says, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. I believe God invites us into a special place individually. <laughs> and as much as I love all you folks, And as much as you love all us folks, there are times God would say, how much do you want to pay to come into a place of intimacy with you? And it's simply that place of inconvenience. And Daniel was in that place. And so he's not knocking his friends. He's simply saying, just me. They were flipped out. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and, retained, and I retained no strength. Now, unless you think this is simply a biblical event, and it's not for us, I want to. Re- I love Smith Wigglesworth. I spent many years reading about the healers and the, some of the nutcases over the hundreds of years who happened, who were weird, ha- raised the dead, did wild and crazy things, prophesied things so accurate nobody could would believe them. But listen to this. This comes out of a great book and I even sent you the link if you want to buy it. It's one of my favorites. There's a guy who hears about the power of, in Smith Wigglesworth when he's down in, um, in I think it's called the Sounds down in Australia. and and, and, and or New Zealand. And he, the place is rocked by this loud man with a booming voice. They used to say when you go on a cruise ship that if everybody had a voice as loud as him, no one would have invented the microphone. It was just, he was a party pooper. He would wreck things because they'd have talent night on board ships and he'd start booming worship songs and people would start weeping and they'd turn into revival meetings and other people were upset because they were on a party boat, basically. Mm -hmm. This guy was, he just ruined everything with with an amazing power of God. So this one guy hears that when he prays, it's different than when other people pray. And again, this is not a demonstration of who he is. This is just who he is. So the guy's writing, and he says, this guy, H.V. Uh, Roberts, then the old saint, so other people prayed, okay? And, and he says, he, says um, he registered a vow that if the opportunity came, if he could be in a meeting with, with Smith, no matter what happens, he's going to stay there, even if other people walk out. So he says, then the old saint began to lift up his voice, and strange as it may seem, the exodus began. Smith Wigglesworth is in a room with praying people. This is a prayer meeting. This isn't just a conference, it's not just a teaching. They're in a prayer meeting, they're there to pray. These are praying people, probably other people wanted to come. This was like an elite prayer meeting probably. And as the old saint began to lift up his voice and strange as it may seem, the exodus began. A divine influence began to fill the place. The room became holy. It's almost impossible to read this. The power of God began to feel like a heavy weight with set chin and a definite decision not to budge, the only other one now left, in he's talking about himself in the third person, the only other one now left in the room hung on, and hung on until the pressure became too great, and he could no, stay no longer. With the floodgates of his soul pouring out a stream of tears and with uncontrollable sobbing, he had to get out of, or die. And, and a man who knew God as few do was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere that few men could breathe in. Oh, God help us. We can't even do a moment of silence that's worth 60 seconds. This is what God's calling us into, and I really believe this. He's taking us into these places. And over the course of the years, we've been in some prayer meetings where people, one in particular, we had. A, there was a prayer meeting we were in, and someone said, I'll just come for a few minutes. They were riveted in, in their seat and couldn't get out for like hours. They were there for hours and couldn't move. We know another guy who came, a, a Lutheran pastor who loves Jesus, got saved in our revival, He's had an amazing life with God, but he's a Lutheran pastor right now. And he went to a, uh, something in L.A., in the Colosseum. And he's another one who came because his daughter was singing or doing something there. He came to see her, and he couldn't get out of his seat for hours because of the power of God. God's calling us into deeper places, and we're walking. I want to be in those places. And I, back to 10, and I dandled alone saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see the vision, but a terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, but my vigor was turned to frailty to me. I retained no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. This 70- or 80-year-old man is basically doing rug time without a rug. Prophecies concerning, okay, these were, okay, I don't know what that's doing here, these were still, okay, okay, so, I don't know what that's doing there. so that'll, that'll come out when I send you updated notes, <laughs> along when I clarify the, uh, the Persia thing too, okay, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands, so he's basically like, like, almost like a, doggy walk. Like he, he has, he's, he's up with his back up and his knees down and he's, he's on all fours. He, that's all, it's the best he could do. It's the best he could do. The power He's under the power and influence of God. Suddenly a hand touched me, with, made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand and he said to me, Oh Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I've now been sent, again, probably this can't be Jesus. I've now been sent you, While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling, which also speaks to me of responding when God touches you. Okay. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. He had set his heart there. He had been praying for a while. He had been sent, and now we get a smallest peek into the battle Okay, I know where this word is here. This whole thing about the prophecies concerning Persia, they're right here. I'll just move that down in my notes. Okay, and what he's saying here, he says to him, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. He's talking about authorities in the heavenly realms. And he says, I'm trying to get you. There are things happening in the heavenly realms. Paul said we don't res- wrestle against flesh and blood. There's things happening in the heavenly realms. This is one teeny-weeny little glimpse that we have. But what in the world do our prayers do? His prayer initiated activity in the heavenly realms that, uh, and then activated warfare in the heavenly realms. This is why God calls us to be praying people in these days. It's not just checking off our performance. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I've been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. And that's probably Aharit Yamin, right? For their vision refers to many days yet to come. This was not in his time period. This is in our time period. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly another, probably an angel, having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains to me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of the man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he had spoke to me, I was strengthened, and he said, let my Lord, and I said, let my Lord speak for your strength in me. Amazing. And I actually, I, I'm actually going to end here, because we've gone a long time, and we've got a lot of territory. Bless you, God. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for opening up the realms of heaven, of giving us a glimpse of our, our purposes and, your more importantly, your purposes but our purposes here in these days. Help us, God, that we could uh, lay aside not just the sin but the uh, even the weights that so easily entangle us, God. even Even things that look religious, even the good intentions. God, we want to be obedient to your word. We thank you that a fresh revelation will never contradict your word. God, that they coordinate. This is another reason you've taught us to to, to read and study and uh, be overwhelmed by all that you're doing in these days. And God, we are honored that you'd put us here in these days, God. You'd call us. we God, when we see the trouble, the shaking, the breaking, the ministry collapse, things are getting exposed, God, that, uh, that we could be the people in position, holy and sanctified for an outpouring that would fry us like Ananias and Sapphira were to happen now. God, do what needs doing in our lives. Do what needs doing, God that we could be your people in these days, God, who have a yes in our spirit, that are not encumbered, are not retired, retired, half-retired, semi-retired, that aren't just looking to sell a book or, or, or stand in front of a microphone, God. We want to be the ones, God, who you would entrust, God, with an understanding of what's happening in these days. God, we want to see the healings, the miracles, the deliverances, the salvations, the rescues, the Holy Ghost convictions. We want to see these things. We want to see the uh, ministries that we're involved in and called to. God, lit up and on fire for you, God, with the other stuff. Put down, put aside, God, so that we can walk into fullness that you've called us to for, for such a time as this. God, we can hear the clock ticking, and we say, can, 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 can. We say yes, 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 God, to all that you're doing, Jesus. And again, if this was me teaching, God, uh, then delete it. If this was uh, you, Holy Spirit, uh, moving in our midst today, God, would you again build up that wall of uh, humble confidence that we are the sons and daughters of the King of the universe. Call for these days, God. As we unmute our mics, Lord, we want to say uh, together, God, that we agree with you and that you're good and amazing and we're in. Lord, we are in for your purposes, God. And your saints said, Amen. Amen.
0: So we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, is anybody out there saying yes to God?